E.T. phone home. I'm just having some brewski beers at my Mojo Dojo Casa house. Wendy, I'm home. There is no place like home. Welcome to the House of Cinema podcast. I am your host, Joe Aragon. With me today, Sydney Volpe. And in the house today, a discussion on Taylor Swift's The Eras Tour, the latest <laughs> hit movie. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I got beaten switched. <laughs> <laughs> I told Sydney, let's talk about Killers of the Flower Moon. But in reality, we're talking about The Eras Tour movie. No, we will talk about that on the Patreon side um, tomorrow. But no, today's episode is dedicated to... Martin Scorsese's latest film, The Killers of the Flower Moon. This is being recorded for the audience on October 14th. Sydney and I have both seen it a little bit early. Sydney, are you going to see it one more time before uh, it's like wide release? Are you going to see it like that, that weekend it comes out? Ooh, great question because I have seen like screenings pop up and I'm like, I already saw it. Do I want to go again because of the length? Mm-hmm. And we will get into it. I think the length is not bothersome at all. I agree. But that's my whole night, man. It, it is your whole night. I mean, if it starts at 7. Are you going to see it again? Yes, I am. I'm going to see it <laughs> on uh, Thursday night. The Thursday night it comes out, I'll be singing it one more time. And I'm singing it kind of late, so that's going to be like out till like midnight probably watching that movie. But I will see it again for two reasons. One, Kelsey hasn't seen it and she wants to see it. And two... It's a, it's a big movie, you know. It's a, it's a it's a it's a big movie. It's it long, is. and I want to make sure that uh, everything I loved about it the first time, I feel that way the second time. It is a movie I really want to unpack, and I feel like unpacking it requires at least a second viewing. So I will be seeing it a second time. I will. That is so fair. This is a beast of a movie. Did you see the tweet? Where they were like, shout out to the guy who's going to be stumbling out of Killers of the Flower Moon at 5 a.m. Yes. Because there was like one one seat sold for the 12.45 a.m. Yes. showing. Props to that guy. I have never seen a movie that late in my entire life. Have you? No, I haven't. Yeah, same, um, same. No, why, I, why would I, I guess? I don't Maybe know. I went to a late showing of uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. No, but that was at like... 10 p.m. So no, I've never done that. Same. But you're so right that this is one that I was like, I'm going to review it for YouTube early, but I don't even know if I want to rate it. I feel like I need to see this movie again. Um, yeah, just to be confident yeah. with, a, with a film this long. I agree completely. And before we jump into the movie, I do want to give a quick disclaimer, as I always do. The first 30 minutes of this episode, we will keep it spoiler-free because we do know that some people who are listening may be hesitant to go see it because of its longer runtime. Maybe they want to hear our initial reactions first before going into it. So we will keep it spoiler-free for the first half of the episode, and then the second half, we will jump into spoilers. We'll we'll obviously flag it and let you know, okay, at this point, we are talking spoilers so you can turn it off or come back to it at a later time. So we'll keep it spoiler-free for the first half. So to start this off, I guess my initial question to you is, how did you feel going into this? Were you confident going into it? Were you uh, like nervous going into it? What's your Scorsese kind of relationship? Tell me about it. 
Okay. I was so amped going into this film. I'm I'm a huge Scorsese fan. I feel like you you rarely find people who are not. Um, I wouldn't say he's like one of my personal favorite directors, but you can't it's like Spielberg. You can't not just be in awe of who he is as an artist and the work that he's done. Um, so I was excited as hell. It feels like we've been waiting for this movie for so Forever. long. Like, lo- did this get delayed? Because I feel like I've been staring at that picture of them sitting at the kitchen table for like a decade. Ah, uh, that is a really fair point. We have been staring at that photo. Also, <laughs> there was that tweet that said that Jesse Plemons was at one point cast in Nope as Steven Yoon's role. And so that makes me think, wow, this has been in production for quite some time that they've been like filming this for a while. Right. So. Wow. You know, I heard, I I found out a little fun fact that they wanted to make this movie before they made The Irishman, but um, they ended up making that movie first because they had to do the CGI de-aging oh. and all the actors were like getting older. Makes <laughs> so sense. So they were like, oh, we, get it. we have to get this one out of the Makes way. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, so this movie has been kind of in the makings for quite some time. I am on the same boat as you. You know, it's hard to not be excited for a Scorsese film, even if you're, like you said, you're not like a diehard Scorsese. He is like one of the titans of cinema. He has been in the news a lot lately because he's always asked questions about MCU and superhero stuff, but he's always been incredibly respectful. He clearly loves the world of cinema. I think regardless of how you feel about him as a director or his movies, if you're a fan of movies, people are going to go see this movie. Um, do you? How do you think the the kind of regular audiences are are feeling about this movie going into this? I think this like Scorsese's name being attached to it, as well as De Niro and Leonardo DiCaprio, and soon people will realize, you know, the masses will realize how incredible Lily Gladstone is. I think that it's come into the public conversation not only because of those people, but because of the runtime. Like, I think people are a little, like, uh, a little curious, you know? Like, what? how good could this movie be that it has, like, that long of a runtime, even if it's, you know, it's kind of like a historical epic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and people aren't always drawn to things like that. Um, but I think also kind of the societal implications it has and and – the way that they worked with the Osage community, I think a lot of people are really caring about and wanting to support it for that reason. But when it comes to your average Joe, I don't know. I feel like people maybe they're like, I'll get around to seeing it eventually, but it's not quite like Oppenheimer, uh, like hype type of deal. Do you agree? I agree completely with that assessment. My two follow-up questions to you are this. One, Percentage-wise, if you were just to give a guesstimate, how many people do you, like, percentage-wise, how many people are being deterred by the runtime? If you were to give a guess. Oh. Oh, 25, 30. Wow. At least. Okay. If not more. I, I, what do you think? I'm thinking about that as well, because every time I think to myself, oh, people don't care, I see a tweet where someone's like, are, is there an intermission? And even my own tweet that I tweeted about this movie, so like I got like two or three comments saying, "Did they let you out to go to the bathroom?" I'm like, I'm a fucking adult. Uh- <laughs> I didn't drink a ton of liquids before the movie, and I sat there with no problem. And I drove home without going to the bath. Like I didn't go to the bathroom after the movie. I drove home, and then I went to the bathroom. But 
I, yeah, I, I think that it's impressive. I thought it was a good feat, but uh, I think that like every time <laughs> I think, oh, people don't care, I get a reminder that people do care. So I think twenty-five or thirty percent is probably accurate. The follow-up question to that question is. How many people do you think will not go see it in theaters because they know it'll be on Apple TV soon after? I think it might be a disappointing amount of people. Like, I'm already seeing a lot of people, like you said, on Twitter talking about it and being like, that's fine. I'm just going to wait until I can watch it at home. And I am team intermission. I am absolutely team intermission. But there aren't intermissions. And I think this is a film that needs to be seen in theaters. I agree. I don't know if you're kind of, okay. You agree. In theaters. Absolutely. This movie is big. Like I feel like watching in theater was like really a, a, like not part of why I loved it. I mean, but watching it at home would have been a disservice. It's a big movie. Like the landscape is huge. Literally. It, I mean, we're, we're going over the plains of like o- the Osage nation. And like, I, I would feel so crummy if i was watching that on my tv like i have a decent sized tv but like it's not a dolby screen that i was watching it on uh-huh so i f- you saw i know you're lucky you saw it in dolby i saw it on a smaller screen so that is that's actually a good reason for me to go back and watch it again so i can get that experience really like ultimate immersive experience yeah yeah and i i, I... sorry motorcycles driving by nope. uh, what's this 12 minutes Yeah, I, I do feel like, because I kind of completely forgot it was going to be on Apple TV, but I do feel like there's going to be a lot of people who uh, realize, oh, it's an Apple TV movie. Oh, I can wait two or three weeks to watch it. Then I could pause it a bunch or watch it in segments. And then that'll be a lot of people who uh, who experience it that way. I kind of want to go back to what you said about being pro-intermission. Because I'm wondering how many people might be shocked to hear you say that. Can you uh, defend your pro-intermission stance? Oh, I'm so pro-intermission. There is no other answer except for intermission. I mean, for movies like over three hours, I guess, because, or even movies that are like two and a half hours. And I started really wanting intermissions after I started seeing more Indian films in theaters. Because if you go see a Bollywood film, there is a built-in intermission in the film but most american most american cinemas don't give you the intermission the only time i got the intermission was when i saw rrr at the alamo draft house it was awesome we got to go pee and we got to talk about the movie you can get another snack that's cool and then you can go back to your seat yeah and it's like built into the film at a good point i mean in rrr it's so stark because you watch the story and then once you get back from intermission it gives you this big ass flashback with like context and stuff yeah. um i will say i don't think intermission would be very conducive with modern audiences i think it would kind of give like kind of uh let people slide into like going on their phones and then maybe they're not on their best behavior for the second half of the film hmm. um I don't know. How do, I don't really know your take on intermission. Well, I was... I'm not, like, anti-intermission. I like a good intermission. Like, I, I mean, I don't go to a lot of plays, but I've been to a, a few high school plays, and I always love intermission because it's fun to talk about, like, what you've experienced so far with, like, other people. Yeah. And kind of like, oh, yeah, I like this, I like that, or, like, I hope they do this. In a movie, the movie... You can't just throw an intermission in like a random spot. The movie would have to be tailored to fit an intermission. 
I don't know. Like, if the movie isn't, like, made for an intermission, it would be kind of weird to, like, all of a sudden we take a break in the middle of the movie if it's, like, just, like, rant. I know they'd find a lull in the movie at some point, but I don't know. I feel like a movie has to be made with an intermission in mind. I I can't imagine movies would be doing that nowadays, though. Um, That's fair. I mean, I think the reason that they originally had intermissions with older American films is because they had to literally, like, swap out the film reel yeah. for the next one. So it was out of necessity. And now I think they, I think theaters definitely wouldn't because then they would not be able to play as many movies. Like, it's like a time issue. Time issue. I also am, like, thinking, like, is there a certain minimum amount of, like, runtime that you should consider intermission? Like, is three hours three hours a minimum? Is it three and a half? Is it four hours? But then again, like maybe does the intermission encourage movies to be a little bit longer? Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Ooh, that's an interesting question. Because it would be like, you know, studios might be as might not be as concerned about cutting down runtime. But I also think it's just like straight up just the time commitment. That's a deterrent to people not necessarily like lasting through a whole movie. With a movie like Killers, I even see going going to theaters to see it almost as a must because I don't even trust myself to watch a three and a half hour movie at home and really commit to being immersed and not like pausing if I have to pee and like pausing if I get a text. Like that's no way to watch a Scorsese movie of all things. That's the biggest issue with this movie being on Apple TV is that it's going to people are going to have to really force themselves to be not on their phones and not good enough for snacks and not going to the bathroom. I mean like you can pause it. Yeah. But like how many times you're going to pause it and break that immersion. And that is kind of a big problem for a movie like this. Um, That being said, I only wondered, you know, about intermissions and runtime because you get all these stories about like Ridley Scott has a seven hour cut of Napoleon you know, would it would an intermission then encourage studios to say, "All right, yeah, release the four hour cut. We have an intermission. Take ten minute release break. Release the Scott cut. Or release it. Release the Scott cut. I don't know. It is an interesting question. Uh, we got a little sidetracked, but uh, I am I'm not like anti or pro intermission. I'm just it is an interesting okay. conversation to yeah. have. Uh, back to the movie, Killers of Flower Moon. Here's a quick summary before we dive into anything else. For those who don't know. Members of the Osage tribe in the United States are murdered under mysterious circumstances in the 1920s, sparking a major FBI investigation involving J. Edgar Hoover. That's an interesting summary. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, is that That, it? That's it. That's it. That's all we got. That's the summary of the movie or the book? (laughs) That's the movie on on IMDb. Uh, Rotten Tomato score currently... The movie sits, and this is one week before its wide release, so there's no uh, audience score just yet. But critic score, it currently sits at a 95% with a total of 97 reviews. So Wow, that many already. Nine, yeah, I, isn't it a lot for like a one week before its release? It's pretty crazy. Yeah, but they already did press screenings. This is true and can, you know, happen a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Um but out of the 97 reviews, 95% of them have given it a positive score. If you want further stats, the average score is an 8.6 out of 10 is its current average wow. score. Only five reviews of the 97 are rotten. Uh, you already told me you're kind of uh, crazy. how you felt going into it. Initial reaction coming out of it. Now, we're keeping it spoiler free, but your initial reaction coming out of it. 
Um, I think this will be an interesting conversation for us because I did not come out of this film thinking that it was a masterpiece. Um, I'm still struggling kind of with my thoughts on that, so I'm excited to talk through it with you. I liked it. I liked it a lot. It was just, and I think I think a lot of my thoughts stem from having read the book. Ooh, so that's another thing I'm I'm interested um, in talking about. But it was, you know, it was kind of that feeling of like, wow, I still really liked it, but because I was so hoping I would be in love with it, it just feels all the more disappointing. But it's like I still liked it a lot. Mm. It's not really a big deal. Um, you. Slapped it with that five stars. I slapped it with the five stars. Tell me about that. Letterbox. I walked out. So I walked in feeling, I don't want to say like super confident, but I wasn't like hesitant. It would be bad. I was just like, okay, I'm going into this. I've liked the trailers I've seen so far. Obviously, I trust Scorsese and I trust this cast. I've read, you know, multiple great reviews. So I was going in with a fairly positive expectation and I found myself in that movie theater watching this movie with a lot of other critics who um, were, you know, writing, taking notes with their pens and stuff. And I was like, I feel like I couldn't take my eyes off the screen. And, and I know a lot of people are like, wow, it's so long. But like, I've never really felt the runtime. I thought it breezed really, really quickly by. Mm. And I walked out and I was like walking to my car. And then I was driving home and then I got home and I never stopped thinking about it. At no point did the movie exit my mind. I feel like every scene kept replaying over and over and over. And I was like, damn, this might be like it. This might be the one like Scorsese. I mean, I like a lot of Scorsese films, but like this might be the one in his like recent filmography that I like think is a masterpiece. And I love a lot of his recent wow. movies, but this is the one that like really resonated with me. I thought it was incredible. Now I haven't read the book. I really would like to read the book, but as somebody who read the book, I'll ask you more questions about kind of the differences and your reaction to that. Um, mm -hmm. You want to highlight something that you really like that isn't spoiler territory? I mean, I can throw a couple things out there, but I want to give you a chance first. Sure. Um, I, I, first of all, totally agree with you that the run to, I will say it felt like it was three and a half hours long, but that's not to say it's not in a bad way. Like it just felt like this really grand epic film, but I was never bored. I was never antsy. I just was like, same, same. wow, yeah, it must, it must have been like two hours by an hour or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, like another hour and a half. Like I was not upset about that at all. Um, I think this is some of Leonardo DiCaprio's best work ever. Ooh, I wrote down in my notes, I, is this Leo's best movie? His best movie or his best performance? Yeah, his, well, okay, you're right. There's a difference. There's a difference. <laughs> is it his best performance? Oh, no, I don't think so. Really? Um, but some people say... I know whenever a movie comes out and they're like, oh, it's Leonardo DiCaprio's best performance ever. They like say that with every single movie. But I genuinely think this is one of the best performances I've seen from him recently. What is what is up there for you? Now I'm curious. Uh, for Leo? Gee, I don't know. He's really good in Aviator. <laughs> I mean, yes, I know he's good in Aviator. Do you think, that's, you think he's better in Aviator than he is in this movie? Yeah. Ooh, interesting. Anything else? Um, 
Oh, what is he really? What is what are like his best performance? Like I wouldn't even don't say look the up. Revenant. <laughs> Uh, no. <laughs> I didn't love him as, like, hot incel. Okay, I want to go through some. Are you ready? I'm going to read you some off. And you let me know okay. what's better, what's worse, or which one you prefer. You ready? Okay. Once okay. Upon a Time in Hollywood. Killers. Okay. Uh, he was really good in Once Upon a Time, actually. He is really good in that movie. That's the only mm-hmm. movie for me right now where I'm like, uh... Really? That's the one I'm, I feel really conflicted about Wait, like which one I think is better or worse? But yeah. I mean, it's like not better or worse. What what's better or better? Essentially, like yeah, like, I know. That's like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like saying better or worse, but like I mean, he's, like, he's fucking Leonardo DiCaprio. Like he truly. Sometimes I'm I am I'm kind of like is he really one of the best actors ever? But some of the fucking subtle subtle dude. facial expressions <laughs> of him in this film. Uh, the way I had this exact thought is is, is really funny to me. Like. He's in the dude. Did you that? There's one scene at the end of the film where like his mouth is twitching a little bit. Do you know what I'm talking? about? I know about? exactly what you're talking about, and it's funny because like <laughs> he's so good. DiCaprio's in the news a lot because yes, he's criticized fairly for his romantic interests, and it's I think it's easy to forget his movies because he's so consistently in the news about those things. And like his last movie yeah. was don't look up, which was two years ago. And then before that was once upon a time in Hollywood was in 2019. We're not getting a DiCaprio movie every year, essentially is what I'm trying to say. So I think sometimes many people, including myself, forget how extraordinary he is as an actor. And then you mm-hmm. watch kills of Thor and boom. And you're like, Holy fuck. He is like one of the current best actors working today. Yeah, he's just doing the damn. I mean, it's like it looks easy. I, it's, it's insane to me. It's insane. Anyways, okay, back to my my uh, listing of movies. Revenant. <laughs> okay. Uh, killers. I agree. Wolf of Wall Street. Wolf of Wall Street. You think he's better than Wolf of Wall Street? I do, but that's tough because it's like he just really, it's like a very loud performance and it, that movie is just about him. Yeah, yeah. So different. They're so polarizing in terms of like the way they're delivered. Literally, the Leo's character in Killers Flower Moon is so quiet, and he's kind of an idiot. And Wolf of yeah. Wall Street, he's loud and charming and charismatic, and he's you know he's a, a financial. I wouldn't say genius, but he's you know he's a criminal, but maybe he's a genius. <laughs> so they're very different. I I think I prefer. What did you, if you had to pick one? I prefer Killers. I prefer Killers. Okay, I like interesting. The, the subtle kind of performance, the quiet performance in this movie a lot more. I know. I don't. I like loud performances. Uh, Great Gatsby. Killers. Django Unchained. Killers. Inception. I haven't seen Inception in too long. What would you say? Killers. Inception's great, though. I mean, like, it's Inception. It's very good. Uh Shutter Island. I love Shutter Island. Whoa, Sydney's a Shutter Island truther? Yeah, like a lot. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Dude, do you not like no, it? No, I like it a lot. You know, I just think it's a little, a little like basic, a little by the books, a little predictable. Well, that was the movie that, it came out in 2010. I was watching that movie, I was probably like 12, and I was like, that's the greatest twist <laughs> in movie history. <laughs> Did Mars Scorsese create the greatest movie ever? <laughs> Did you know that Shutter Island, the book, was based on an island in the Boston Harbor? I did not. 
I did not. That that you that can makes see complete it from sense. From the plane. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. What about uh, The Departed? I haven't seen The Departed in too long, but that must be up there, no? It's up there. I think that movie is a you know it's really known for its ensemble. Everybody is good in it, but I don't think anybody really outshines anybody by like a lot. So uh-huh. like when I think about The Departed, I don't think, wow, what a DiCaprio performance. I'm thinking, wow, everybody's so good in this, you know? Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Aviator, you think is better than Killers. I go Killers. Catch Me If You Can. I don't know if I'm in love with like his performance in that. Good movie, though. Maybe I'd pick Killers performance-wise. I pick Killers, and my hot take here is that I think Catch Me If You Can is totally fine. I don't, I don't love it like some people. Wow. Well, that's another one I haven't seen since I was younger. Yeah, I think it's totally cool. That's all. I, I, <laughs> I'm never putting it on, if I'm being honest. Uh, Gangs wow. of New York? Dude. Okay, here's here's another hot oh, Scorsese take. Oh, no. I love uh, Gangs no. of New York. I love Gangs of New York. <laughs> it's not bad. I just think this is like, I think this is mid-tier to low-tier Scorsese. I think it's one of his best movies. Wow. Look at us go. No, I don't know if that's true. That's another one I have to... I, but I did. I watched that movie in like college and I was like, oh my gosh. I'm so, okay, Daniel Day-Lewis. That's a Daniel Day-Lewis movie. As though. Bill the Butcher. It's... Yeah, it is. And so maybe that's why I love it because I love Daniel Day-Lewis. So maybe I, I like that movie more, but his performance in Killers is better. Titanic. Titanic. I picked Titanic as well. Yeah, nice. Titanic. I- I'm going to say this now for the podcast to know, everybody listening now. Overrated. No, Titanic is perfect. <laughs> Titanic is a six out wow. of five. It is a masterpiece. I I, I saw it this year in the, in the movie theater because they re-released it in February. I cried harder in Titanic than I have cried in any single movie this entire wow. year. Dude, I had to keep all my... Did you see it alone? No, I saw it with Kelsey. Yeah, fuck that. Like, I saw it alone, and so I sucked all my tears back up because i was like this is embarrassing it's like isn't this like a valent wasn't it like valentine's day it was 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 literally valentine's day Day. i'm seeing it fucking like alone oh that's so funny (laughs) yeah i i love love titanic we'll never get tired of it okay titanic uh some other smaller movies romeo and juliet he's fun in those movies basketball diaries quick in the dead gilbert gray oh that's that was a great one yeah i think killers do you think, would you say it's definitely top five for him? Oh, absolutely. I'm thinking yeah, top three currently. It's really wow. a, a toss-up between, for me, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Wolf of Wall Street, and Titanic. Like, those wow. four all inter- interchange. I, I would put probably put Killers very high up, though. Yeah, I mean... It is great. It, it was nice to see it and be like, wow, they weren't actually just like trying to get clicks this time. He is like phenomenal in this. I yeah, it is pretty crazy. This is a good segue to another question related to this. Leo is obviously great. Is Lily Gladstone better? Um, Wow, there's so much to say about this movie. Lily Gladstone <sighs> is incredible in this movie. It's just, it was mesmerizing how she had this, like, sleepy, like, wiseness about her that the way that she spoke, it was just so, it was very subtle and it was very powerful. What was, was is she better than Leo in this movie? I wish she got to do more, man. Yeah, that is, I've seen that kind of criticism. That's going to be a big complaint from people. You know, we might be venturing a little in spoiler territory, but I don't think so. But it is common 
slight critique. It, it wasn't a deal breaker for me, but I have seen some people say she's very good. She's amazing. Probably be probably Oscar nominated, but I wish there Definitely. was more of her. And that does bring up an interesting conversation because she's currently campaigning for best actress, not supporting actress. Do you think that's the right move? I was not against it um, once. You know, people were kind of didn't like that decision when it came out. They were like, you were a shoe in in supporting actress. And now, you know, there's stiff competition. And I was like, go for it, Lily. Like, yeah. you deserve that. There should and, be stiff competition, know, right? Yeah, there's no it's no reason to like not shoot for the stars just because you, you know, people think you're not going to win. I will say I was I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio is the main character of this movie. Yeah, I I fear. Um, And I I do really wonder how people are going to take to that because the whole thing was that so they they basically completely restructured the script because the book is kind of told from the perspective of james white the fbi agent who's played by jesse plemons um it kind of really is forward on like the effort that was put it kind of sees it through like his investigation um but here and that was what how the script was originally written but they completely started from scratch and wanted to rewrite it from the Osage perspective and from Molly's perspective. Mm. Um, And I see that effort. I think it is incorporated, but I think ultimately, I mean, and I, and I think there's an argument to be made. Like Scorsese makes crime flicks. Like that's what he's really good at. That's what he knows. And I think that's what he employs really well here, making this kind of like Western crime story. Um, but I didn't feel like it was told from Molly's perspective. I don't know if I felt like it was told from anyone's perspective. And I think that was maybe the biggest issue that I had with it. How do you feel about that? Interestingly enough, I think that's why I really loved it. I feel okay. like that's kind of in- intentional. As says Scorsese wants to keep this almost omniscient perspective of not having it be Molly's perspective, not having it be... Um, Ernest, which is DiCaprio's character's perspective, or De Niro's perspective, or Plemons' perspective. I think he wanted it. It feels very intentional to keep it uh, just kind of like a third person, omniscient perspective. And I like that a lot. You know, when you and I were talking before this episode, when the, you know, I think you called me after you saw it, you mentioned something about kind of the energy of the first half not being there. And that's that also kind of was something that uh, you you had an issue with. Do you still feel that way? I think I do. I know now that it's further removed, it's it's hard to evaluate to, or to remember like how I was feeling then, but that was how I felt coming out of it. I felt that once once Jesse Plemons arrived, um, which was it's pretty late in the film, like maybe yeah. like halfway through, a little over maybe an hour in. Maybe a little in. over, yeah. Yeah. Um it felt like then there was a sort of urgency or like a sort of uh, some resistance to like what was going on, which creates the conflict of the film. Up, up until then, it's kind of about, I mean, yeah, what, let's give people an idea of what this movie even is. Because it's kind of like, you know, you have the Osage Nation and people are being murdered. And basically back then, like the Osage people were the wealthiest people Mm-hmm. on the planet yep. um, per capita, I think. 
it, because they had found oil on that land, like the, the U.S. had kind of like thrown them over to that land, um, not thinking anything of it. And it and it uh, turned out that there was a ton of wealth to be found there. And so it's kind of this reverse of like they're living, you know, very well there. And there are these white people coming in like they're like the street peddlers and they're trying to marry them for their money and, and all of that. They're wolves. And then you get... Yes, they are. Can you? What is it? Can a find or find spot? Can you find the in wolves picture? in this picture? Ooh, oh, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> it was my little drawl. <laughs> yeah, a little drawl to it. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so Leonardo DiCaprio and Lily Gladstone play a couple, the Ernest and Molly. They end up getting getting married. Um, and there is then there's a lot that goes down. You know, they're being systemically murdered and you don't, I mean, actually the movie kind of makes it obvious who is doing it. Yeah. I don't know if we want to say who is doing it. We'll get it. into that in spoiler parts in oh, just yeah, a second. Yeah, I think that's fair. But that is a very good description of kind of the basis of the film is that the Osage people are the wealthiest people, like you said, on the planet. And it is an interesting inverse to see, you know, all the Osage people, you know, with their cars and their their ser- their servants and their butlers and like they're very wealthy like people are consistently walking up to them on the street like asking them for help and money mm-hmm. and it's a very like strange inverse because i i can't think of a movie where we get that kind of depiction that i've seen you know i haven't seen every movie in the world but many times we see the opposite um <clears throat> so exactly uh, i think it's time I think it's time to get into some spoiler territory. So at this okay. point, if you are looking to uh, uh, watch the movie, I think it's very clear from both of our reactions. We love it. I, I, I love it dearly. I've given it a five out of five. Sydney gave it a four. That's still an amazing score. That's still exactly. an yeah. excellent score. Please, I fully I, encourage everyone to seek out this film, if not just to learn about what happened. It's very, yes. very important. I agree completely. I agree completely. So... At this point, I don't know what mark we're at. It's been like 35 minutes. Spoilers are <laughs> happening. You cannot get mad at us if you are not ready for spoilers. So here we go. Can you find the spoilers in, in this, this episode? <laughs> <laughs> so you made a really interesting point when we were talking, saying that in the book, it's a little bit ambiguous as to who is killing the Osage people. But in the movie, it is very obvious that Ernest, his uncle, played by De Niro, is the one orchestrating all these murders in order yep. for the white men who are marrying the Osage women to inherit their wealth. How did that work out for you? Did you find that jarring? Did you think that worked better in this movie? Do you think it was do you wish it was more ambiguous? I almost wish that it was um, mm. because I think the shock you through the book, you feel the shock of the Osage learning that it was him because he was such a trusted member of the community. I mean, you kind of get a glimpse of like he was involved in crime. Everyone knew this, um, but it in the book, it is like kind of this reveal Um and I was surprised that they didn't keep that in because what it, wouldn't it be, you know, oh, you, you kind of get swindled in the way that they did in, in the film being mm-hmm. like, wow, I thought I could trust this person because that's what it is. It's about trusting him and also kind of unraveling this 
web. Like uh, David Grant, the author of the book, I was listening. I was watching an interview where he said something really interesting. He was like, "As I started researching this, I kind of thought it was like a who done it, and at a certain point, it." became clear to me that it was like, who didn't do it? There were so many people involved in this plan who were either at best complicit and at worst literally carrying out these murders on behalf of William Hale. Um, and so I think there's something really interesting about that. And it was it was a little bit weird to me that it was revealed so early. But for you, as someone who hadn't read the book how did you did that affect your experience at all or was it kind of like you were also you were still trying to kind of piece together the puzzle so there was that tension yeah because i hadn't read the book at all i had no idea that the book framed it as more of like a mystery about who's killing the osage because like i said earlier it's very obvious from the beginning of this movie that de niro is orchestrating all of these murders I don't think that affected my viewing of the movie at all. In fact, I liked that in a way De Niro is always very evident to be the person in charge of uh, these crimes. Now, again, I haven't read the book, so people who read the book may feel completely different. But I think what I like about it is that it really adds this layer of evil to these men who are committing these atrocities. Like it's, Mm. I think it almost really shows this another motorcycle <clears throat> I just had a loud ass siren okay ready yep this continuing respect that Scorsese has for the Osage people not to say that the author doesn't and I'm not implying that at all but to me it feels like Scorsese isn't trying to like trivialize or novelize or like um make this like this cinematic like twist that it was Mm -hmm. De Niro the whole time. To me, it feels like Scorsese is wants to make one thing very clear. The greed of white men destroyed these people. And he doesn't want to make it like this silly twist that De Niro was behind the whole time. I think for him, it's more important that we see this evil uh, from beginning to end and witness it. Uh, this entire three and a half hours. That's why I love it. Um, Not to say a twist would have been bad, not to say that I would have enjoyed seeing that happen, but to me, it really feels that Scorsese, from the beginning of this movie, respects this story so tremendously and wants people to know what happened, and so he doesn't want to turn it into a whodunit. Does that make any sense? Yes, very, very well said. I think that's a fantastic argument for what Scorsese ended up doing yeah I mean that's a great point and I think that was something that I felt in the the, in the film I was like it does at certain times it felt like it was like lacking energy and this or that I'm like is this because I'm so used to Scorsese delving into you know he it's not the first time he is uh you know his movies have been based off of a true story Mm -hmm. but it it is almost the first time that it has been so grave and yeah. he isn't telling a story that belongs to him and i yes. think he yeah, really yeah. wanted to not yeah kind of sensationalize it or anything um so yeah i think that came out that in... was the word i was looking for earlier Thank oh okay for <laughs> i thought maybe it was yeah of course <laughs> 
So yeah, I think that's a great point. And well, and so I think it goes hand in hand with them changing the perspective because in the book, it isn't really like it's like it was William Hale, but it's like it comes out naturally through the investigation. But Mm -hmm. if they're not telling it through the investigation, then you can't have that happen in that way. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Now that we're in spoiler territory, is there any specific scenes you want to like say like, wow, that was like the scene for me. Like, I I love that scene. That was kind of like what sold you on the movie or any scenes that really stuck out to you that you want to mention? I think the last line of the film is the best line in the well, film. Well, okay, we're going to get to the ending in a second. Let's let's, let's not get to <laughs> jumping ahead. That was my scene. <laughs> I do I do actually have a monologue that I liked. Oh, okay, which one? Um I liked when both Hale and Burkhart are in prison and Burkhart finds out that his child died. Oh, you call him Burkhart, um, not Ernest? Why don't you call him Ernest? Ernest, sorry, Ernest. No, no, well, because okay. I'm not going to call him William. <laughs> 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 Ernest and Hale. <laughs> that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. Um, they're in prison and, uh, you know, Ernest is kind of dealing with... Oh, I also think we should talk about their relationship because i think that was also something that scorsese chose to put at the forefront which is interesting but um they're in prison and ernest is really debating whether he should testify or not and come clean and hale has this monologue about how you know with tragedy it's like everyone's stopped like no one cares um you know, time is going to pass and no one's going to care anymore. Yeah. And I think it is true. It is sad because it's true. Um, I thought that was a great monologue. But how about you? Yeah. What were some of like your favorite parts of the movie? I'm going to say a couple scenes. I really love that final scene with uh, Molly and Ernest where she kind of confronts him about... You know, yes. all the all the things that he's admitted to doing and she kind of like looks at him like that one final time before never seeing him again well, that moment was really powerful you know she's just recovered uh from being you know in this really really terrible state and sickness from her her diabetes um that thought that was a really powerful moment any any moment with lily gladstone is very incredible when she finds out like her sisters are being murdered her reaction and the way she kind of oh my god it yeah is just dude that shot when it was like she's she finds out when she's in the basement and it's kind of recording her from the oh, top of the stairs yes yes woof tragic i mean that woman molly burkhart went through hell 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 like all the layers of hell yeah i really like uh the courtroom scenes with brendan fraser you know he has his you know few shining moments in this movie but i think he was very good in his moments he was good i really like you know the trailer does the can you spot the wolves in this picture scene and i like that scene I, i love that shot of like that first person perspective of walking in the door and having all these white you know affluent men some women like stare at you as you walk in like mm-hmm. they they feel like a pack of wolves i love that scene a lot um you know strangely enough you know this is a movie about murder but the ro- the romance aspect to it i thought it was done really well as as well i thought i agree you know it was really tragic to watch their relationship kind of fall into despair into the pits of hell but like the way they fell in love and the way he treated her it was I thought it, they they pulled off the romance aspect really well. 
I did. I totally bought that they were in love with each other. Yeah, it, it felt like she was going toe to toe with Leo that entire movie, and I thought oh, that was course. really incredible. Yeah. Um, we'll kind of move our way towards the ending. There is a, you know, I, I did say there's like no twist for the killer. There is a slight twist towards the end in two ways. One way there is we find out like it's like the whole movie we're watching or like kind of was like a radio show. Is that the the kind of is that how you interpreted it? Oh, I didn't interpret it as the whole movie. Sure. I mean, it could be that. Yeah, it was told through, but mostly just that like, well, I think that the ending really brings full circle that this is about <clears throat> stories. Mm-hmm. And I think. Well, do we want to say like how it ends? Okay, let's 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 go, let's walk through this together. So we get to the point in the movie. I can't exactly remember when. I'm gonna feel so dumb because by the time this episode airs, I've seen it twice. I'll know exactly <laughs> when the real part ends. But we get to a point where the radio show kind of acts like a prologue, and it kind of tells the story of what happened to Ernest, what happened to Molly, what happened to um, William Hale's character. Or De Niro's character, William Hale. And instead of showing all of that, it's a it's a radio show. It's like people performing this radio show on a stage for an audience. You know, they do like these fun sound effects and like people are acting. So it's so good. And they're acting out like the performances of these characters we watch for three hours. And then we get to the moment. The moment that people are gonna be talking about probably for the rest of the year, uh, once this movie comes out. And I'll I'll give you the yeah. honor, Sydney. Tell us what happens. Well, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it yet, but you didn't care about spoilers, please. This is stop. a spoiler. Maybe you do care about. You do care about <laughs> so this. Skip spoiler. ahead a little because I had this spoiled for me months I ago and it premiered at Cannes. Dude, I was pissed. I, I people am were so just sorry. tweeting it, and I found out. But I have the memory of a goldfish, and I forgot. <laughs> and so I was watching the movie, and he came on screen, and I was like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> whoa, 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 back up, back up, back up. So you have the okay. goldfish. Tell us what happens. Tell us what happens. So we're hearing the prologue, and finally we get to what happened to Molly Burkhart, and Sir Martin Scorsese comes on the screen, and he, he I think he's technically like, I don't know, he's credited as like a radio show producer or something, and he comes up to the mic and he says, I mean, I obviously don't know it verbatim, mm-hmm. but he says what happened to Molly Burkhardt is that eventually she passed. And the most important po- point is that I think it was her obituary. Yeah, yeah. Um, was that she was a loving mother, a loving sister, a member of the Osage Nation, and that there was no mention of the murders. Mm-hmm. Or anything that happened, I thought that was. Ooh, I just so got chills powerful. right now. I literally got I thought chills that right was now. So powerful. Yeah. And it it just, I mean, because that means that it's it's about power and it's about stories and it's like these white men did this to us, but we're not going to give them the the power over us for that to yeah. impact our lives and for that to impact our history and. Yeah, I mean, this is a story that has been so untold in American history. I Until I read the book and I heard this movie was coming out, I had no idea that any of this happened. Did you? Mm-hmm. No, no. I mean, in a general sense, as an American who is now, you know, a little bit older and educated, I kind of just assume all, all what 
America has wronged all na- indigenous people. So, uh, you know, I just I, I automatically right. assume that the Osage people at some point were wronged by the people of this, you know, that took over this land mm-hmm. like they did to so many other indigenous people. Um, but I did not know the specifics of what happened to the Osage people. I didn't know the specifics of like their wealth and like the, their prominence in their land. I, I didn't know that. So it was the first time for me as well. But I I cannot s- emphasize more, stress more. Are you fucking kidding me? Another fucking was that pie? No, it's a motorcycle. Oh. <laughs> I thought I heard pie growling. No, that was a fucking motorcycle growling. Um, I said more. <laughs> That the ending is so incredible, po- incredibly powerful because, like you said, it is a movie about stories. And that obituary that, you know, Martin Scorsese reads to, you know, in the movie and how that obituary doesn't uh, give the satisfaction of, you know, white people learning about their atrocities. And, and, and it gives them kind of the upper hand at the end. Like they, they, they are exactly. the winners in this. And exactly. it was incredibly powerful. Like, I, I don't know. I've never seen something like that. You know, you know, it, it's easy for directors, for a director to show what happened at the end. You know, we could have easily watched Molly get older, remarry, have kids, die peacefully, read her obituary, get, maybe get a, a narration. Uh, but no, like th- th- we did not get any of that. Instead, we get a radio program telling us what happened. And then we get the director himself walking on the stage and delivering the final line to this movie as this ultimate sign that of respect, in my opinion. It's just mm. further proof and support that this is a movie that clearly Martin Scorsese feels incredibly, incredibly important about. Like He, he clearly finds all of this really important, and he has the most profound respect for the Osage people. And this like final sentence is... I don't know. I just, I was like, I was so moved by it. Yeah, I was too. And I, that's right. It is all about respect. And he showed it through having Osage people be involved in the writing process and be part of the crew. And they spent so much time with them trying to get this right. And I think that ending really ties it. It makes it meta in that way that ties it back to the real world being like, hey, this actually happened. Yes. Uh, let's that's- not. Yeah, back to that whole concept of he's made it cinematic, but still grounding it and and keeping it, you know, connected to the real world. Yes. And I think in a time like this, that is the most important part of this movie. When I say a time like this and I say I say that because we're in a in an era where true crime is at its peak, where people consume uh, documentaries about serial killers and atrocities every single day uh, while eating some popcorn or a snack on Netflix. And there's never a point where I think these true crime documentaries or even true crime films, a lot of true crime films, don't really take a moment to remind people like this actually happened. I mean, it's gotten to a point where people are fucking dressing up as Jeffrey Dahmer and tattooing themselves, you know, Literally. with serial killers on their body because this sounds so dramatic and so maybe boomer of me, but we as a society have like gotten to this place where we forget, forget this, these things happen to real life people. And I think that, you know, Scorsese recognizes he's making a movie about what happened, but that's why this ending is so powerful because I think he 
steps out, you know, steps from behind the camera in front of the camera to remind us this happened. And that's why ultimately it, I think it works so well. Right. That's not boomer of you. I mean, we're so, oh. I think society is finally starting to realize that the, consequences the true crime, of true crime trend is, yeah, I mean, it's harmful it and is. it's desensitizing and it's exploitative and it's, yeah, it is the opposite of respectful to mm-hmm. the victims of all of these things. And yeah, I mean, it's really, it's fucking weird is what it is. <laughs> what a movie. What an ending. What an ending. What an ending. Best ending of the of the year? Um, what? There was another movie that had a really, really John Wick profound 4? ending this year. What? John Wick 4? No. <laughs> <laughs> Let oh, me look cuz there was uh, there was oh profound ending. Okay, here's here's okay. I think the Oppenheimer ending is better. Wow. And I also think Oppenheimer is better and I also Ooh. think the book is better. Okay, wow, <laughs> wow, are, wow, wow. Those are All my right. negative takes. <laughs> Here, here's the literally the next question I have in my notes is Oscar chances does it beat Oppie? Woof, dude, the Scorsese power is real. It's real. It's real and it's happening to us. But I think Oppen I don't think this is Scorsese's best film. I think Oppenheimer Christopher Nolan went somewhere. He went somewhere. I don't know. Mm. Something happened. <laughs> okay. Transcended. He went to a, the, yeah, a different realm. Yeah, he transcended. Realm. Okay. But you think, which would you pick? You would pick this. I would pick this. I think Killers is 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 slightly better than Oppenheimer. Now, again, I, I like Oppenheimer a lot. I gave it a four and a half. I really like Oppenheimer. But if I'm putting myself in the, in, in the body of an Oscar voter or in the... Uh, you know, on, on in their panels as they're like trying to vote for a movie to win best picture, best director. Let's let's talk like kind of everything a little bit bigger picture. Best picture, I currently and now I haven't seen Poor Things. That's all, you know that's another big one that people are True, saying. Poor Things, be- I've seen even more unequivocal praise for Poor Things than any other movie. Any other movie, exactly. So I currently can't say how that will factor in. But if I'm saying it's between two horses right now, it's it's uh, Killers of Flower Moon and Oppenheimer. In my heart mm-hmm. of hearts, it's between John Wick 4 and Killers of Flower Moon. But that <laughs> is, I am not the Oscars of the Academy Board, so I cannot Introduce the stunt Oscar. Introduce it, They could. There's still a chance John Wick 4 that they could this year. looks amazing. Cinematography isn't out of the question for me. It That's a beautiful movie. It is. No, I'm so with you. Anyways, sound it design. Deserves it. Sound design. Yes. The fucking fist to the the plank. fist alone deserves an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget that. You you can uh, that is images you can hear that it wrote the book on is, images you can hear. This is so true. Anyways, it right now without poor things in the mix, it is a two horse race between Killers and Oppenheimer. Right. I would pick Oppenheimer, but I do think Killers is like more of an Oscars movie. That is, so you could maybe is it kind of? I mean, they're both in a sense biopics. I don't think Oppenheimer isn't less of an Oscar movie, but Oppenheimer is a little more incriminating of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think Killers is very incriminating of the United States? No, because it was it was long enough ago that they can oh, be like, yeah, yeah, and yeah. you can even be like. Oh, look, like, 
the FBI helped. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> even though they were like so failed by law enforcement for yeah, so long. For years. And then J. Edgar Hoover was like, look, guys. <laughs> okay, so here here are my argument points for, for Oppenheimer and why it could get the, the, the leg up over killers. It's almost made a billion dollars. That alone is going to yes. be in the minds of voters for sure. Uh, Nolan has not won at all. No directors. That's true. How many Best Picture wins does Scorsese have? One. Now he's, Only he's, one? He's been slighted for years until he won for The Departed. Five. Only for The Department. That was fucking almost 20 years ago. So you could make the argument, well, the Oscars feel bad for sliding Marty for so long. They'll give him another Best Picture. Or you could play the other side of that coin and say... The Oscars have not given Nolan any Best Picture wins, and so they'll give him the win this year. You could go either way on that. Not, you it, could. The argument works for both for both camps. Um, uh, yeah, it's not like Nolan hasn't been recognized by the Oscars his fair amount of times. But what I could see happening this year is Oppenheimer winning Best Picture and Marty winning Best Director. That's how I think oh. it might shake out. Current. I think Oppenheimer should win. Which would you pick for best editing? John Wick 4. <laughs> oh, fair, fair. <laughs> um, no, uh, best editing would go to Oppenheimer, I think. I'm with you. Why am I making up in my head that they have the same editor? I have no idea. No, they, do don't. they? they yeah. don't. They don't. Okay. But the Jennifer Lame edited Oppenheimer. Um, Killers of the Flower Moon... Is the woman who works with Marty a lot. Yeah, um, yeah. And she's also Thelma been around for Shoemaker. a while. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thelma Shoemakers. It's hard, hard to say, but I could see it doing that split. Um, and I, I think the split would be Marty director, Nolan, best picture. Uh, best actor, does Nolan, does Killian Murphy pass DiCaprio? Ooh. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I like Oppenheimer more than I realized. Uh, you clearly do. <laughs> clearly. I also think Killian passes. Uh, oh, okay. Does Emily they, Blunt both beat certainly out be Lily Gladstone? I I think that. Hmm. Does Blunt even get nominated? I think Blunt was able to show a bit more range. If I'm being completely honest. Mm. Yeah, I think she was allowed to show more range. I think, um, but I don't. I don't necessarily agree with that. We got some really. Oh, but Blunt's going for supporting. Oh, is she? That probably makes more she sense. She can't go for lead. We haven't seen poor things, so Emma Stone is getting a lot of praise. Yeah, so she'll be in lead. Lily Gladstone will be in lead. Um, Priscilla. Oh, past lives. Oh, Priscilla. Priscilla, past lives, Greta Lee getting in seems like a long shot, but I I could see it happening. You think? I feel like that's been like all the talk has been Greta Lee getting in. I hope so. She's great in that. She's so good in that. Justice for Asteroid City, if I'm being honest. What, for ScarJo? For Best Picture. Oh, Best Picture? Interesting. We'll we'll have Oscar conversations closer after November. I think we need to see a lot more. But anyways, okay. It, it, Oppie and, and Killers right now seem head-to-head, but it, I also agree. Well, I don't maybe personally agree. I do think Oppie has the edge currently. For Best Picture. For a lot of the awards, Best Picture, oh. Director, Actor. Um, 
I, I don't think Gladstone will have an issue against like Margot Robbie for Barbie, but I do think. Oh, it, that's right, Barbie. Oh, and then Ryan Gosling will be. You think Ryan Gosling is uh, supporting? Yeah. He he gets beat out by Robert Downey Jr. You think? I think so. I'm not. I didn't think Robert Downey Jr. was like mind blowing in Oppenheimer. Interesting. I thought there were so, there were so many supporting performances that I liked more, you even though like, he was great. You didn't but, like the twist of. Who is the senator who voted against me? Uh, I don't know. His name is John F. Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> what are you, some kind of JFK? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that, that's my least favorite senator, scene in the movie, I think. New, some new guy from Massachusetts. Some new guy. <laughs> Anyways. Um, <laughs> that was funny. I've heard good things about Mark Ruffalo in Poor Things True, as well. me too. And uh, obviously, we all, there's all of us strangers with uh, Andrew Scott and Paul Mescal. Oh, yeah. There's the holdovers with Paul Giamatti. There, there are so many. Maestro, Bradley Cooper, and Carrie that's Mulligan. Right. I know. I feel like it's like the end of the year, and we're just going to get bombarded with it's like, gonna awards films. It's going to get so overwhelming, dude. Saltburn. So overwhelming. Saltburn. I don't think Saltburn goes for anything. I, I don't I, think so either. I think maybe screenplay, but that's it. If it's lucky, screenplay. Really? Yeah, I agree. Oh, cinematography. Cinematography? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, best bathwater scene, maybe? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I don't know. That's... Are there any other bathwater scenes this year? <laughs> I would be shocked. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. All right. Uh, well, we're reaching the end on our episode of Killers of Flower Moon. Is there anything else you want to say very quickly about the movie before we move on? I mean, I feel like we have we said so much, but we have just scratched the surface i mean there's so much to discuss with this movie the the story there's so much depth to, to the actual story mm-hmm. um i do think that at the end of the day scorsese handled it with a lot of care i think there will be conversations about who is telling this story you know the perspective it was told from i think it's it is at the very least great that people will see this movie because of who is involved with it because of who made it um and i think there's gonna be a great conversation about it yeah um it is great it's a great film everyone should see it in theaters um perfect it is long it is long but i I will echo everything sydney has said and agree with it i think it's a thousand percent worth it to see in theaters i think it's a thousand percent a movie everybody should be watching and it's a movie that uh I, i will gladly watch a second and third time i'm actually really excited to watch the second time to really uh, unpack it further so that is uh that is our consensus on this movie this episode is releasing the tuesday after its release so i i my review is out i've given it a five if it goes down people will know about it but that's how i feel currently about it you've given it a four youtube review pending Currently, or well, YouTube I guess by time pending. By time this oh, episode it'll be airs, out. the the YouTube review. Yes, yeah, I'll link it in the. Uh, I'll link it in the description of the episode. Thanks. At this point, though, we've reached the end. Oh, my last question to you. Mm-hmm. Rank uh, one out of ten rating on the floating head poster. How do you? How do you? How do you rate uh, the the Killers of the Flower Moon floating a head four? poster? Dude, no one is safe. <laughs> There is one that's not that bad where it's like the one of Lily Gladstone like leaning on him. Yeah, that one's okay. That one's okay. But the floating head one, it's like, why? Like, who did this? I don't know. Ooh, my other question actually is, 
Do you think people will be t- deterred to go see this movie because they're afraid Eros tour crowds will ruin their experience? No, I wouldn't. That would not even be a thought in my head. You haven't seen you the, think the that, TikToks? Well, so you went. How crazy? No, I'm not. I know I don't go on TikTok enough to have had that pop up on my for you page. Oh, you're I just guess, too busy you, sending you, uh, AI edits of Timothy Chalamet and Tom Holland. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's for the patrons only. <laughs> My bad. I, I, I disclosed um, your secrets. That, this is true, and I did bookmark that, and I <laughs> look at it regularly. Um, but you were there. Like, what was the crowd like? I heard that I heard Dude. that in some showings it was like everyone was tame and then got up and danced for, like, the end. I'll be honest with you. Here is my quick Eras Tour recap for the public side. I'll be talking a lot about it on the patron side. <laughs> on the public side, I regret going to Alamo <gasps> and not going to AMC. My crowd was oh. tame, slightly boring. Oh. And I am currently considering going to see it a second time at an AMC. See, there's a time and place for Alamo. It's and, not unhinged enough for certain occasions. So here's a funny thing. You and I have been to Alamo a lot because we attend Fantastic Fest twice. You know, uh, right. Twice. And so if you've been to Alamo, the previews before the movie starts, they do like their Alamo kind of uh, reel. And it's like, this is now a quiet zone. Please put your phone away. If you get caught with your phone, you'll be escorted out type deal. Mm-hmm. However, for the Taylor Swift movie, they go, this is... It's a quiet zone. And then it goes like, this is now a rowdy zone. And it's like <laughs> dancing and singing is encouraged. Like be respectful, but have fun, like kind of deal. So I was like, oh, fuck. Like this is about to get crazy. No, it was like well, people were singing. Why did you get up and dance? I'm not going to be the one that starts it. Someone already recognized me as I was at the Alamo. I did not need to be the person who starts it. So All it takes is one. This is true. This is true. But <laughs> here's my question to you. This is a little unrelated, but you know, related to this conversation at least. There were, I would say, at least three people with their partners where the partners clearly did not want to be there. Why? Why take them? Why go? Wow. I know it, it seems like so. Well, maybe they don't have anyone else who would be interested in going. Your partner yeah, kind of yeah. Has I, to. Guess, I guess I guess. But mean, I know like, it's like I'd rather go alone than go with someone who like wasn't into it when it's something like that. You know, you deeply care about. You know, like the guy. The guy next to me was just sitting there, stick in the mud. But also, like get into it, bro. Take a shot. The fuck. I'll you buy you some shots. Like take yeah. <laughs> some drinks, man. Well, and so I have a question: Is it kind of like a documentary? No, or no, no. is it like just footage of her performing? It is full footage of the concert. It is literally the concert. It's not like Taylor backstage. Like nope, nope, none of that. Getting none wow. of that. Has that ever happened before? Uh, I mean, like "Stop Making Sense," which just came out, is the same way. I mean, it's it's a concert film. That the the there are few other ones that exist. That is, but so, it's just a little weird to me. I mean, it, it's filmed really well. Like, man, they're using like state of the art cameras to film this this concert. It looks really good. I it, feel like everything I see of her is like four hundred k. Yeah, it's like she's there, <laughs> and I was really disappointed with my crowd. And so, like, I had fun. I still enjoyed the movie a lot, and I obviously really enjoy her music, so I had a good time with it. But I keep seeing videos of people in AMC, and like some Doing are a little summer dance. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, look, some. 
some are a little over the top. The midsummer, you know, uh, ring around the rosy is a little much for me. <laughs> I'm not trying to get into that, but I've seen some really cool videos of people like everybody singing and standing up, and I was like, man, I really kind of wish I was in that environment because yeah. So, yeah, I, I might be uh, watching it for a second time. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Also, people did that with RRR, and everyone thought it was great then. Yeah, and people have like, been doing people it. People are kind of talking shit, even though, like, everyone knows the situation with the Eras tour. It's easy to talk shit on a woman, like, the most famous woman on the planet. Uh, yeah. People have been doing it for Stop Making Sense, which came out, like, two weeks ago. There okay. have been tons of videos of people dancing in the theater. Oh, okay. Um, so it's happening, and it's happened with other concerts. It's just easy to point figure uh, fingers at you know this one. At any rate, uh, I get off track. I had a good time, but I might be seeing it again. If I see it again, I will update everybody on the second experience and let you know. Yeah, that would be fun. You well, should post I... a screening. <laughs> I would love to. Um, but I say that because I might be seeing it the weekend Killers of Flower Moon comes out. So we'll uh, we'll see. Oh. I'll let you know if we interrupt. But, but uh... then all the Swifties will be seeing Killers of the Flower Moon. Will they, Naturally. Though? Will they, though? It's going to be. be. It's going to be like, <laughs> can you find the wolves in this picture as I'm <laughs> Can you find the friendship bracelet? <laughs> <laughs> Is scream. that what they're called? Yeah, I'll be screaming <laughs> the man as uh, that, that scene's happening. We'll see. <gasps> I love the man. It's a good song. Good song. Actually, by the time that, that scene happens in the movie, we're probably in a different era. So, oh. <laughs> Anyways, all right, we're moving on. Uh, everybody listening, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we have reached the end of this episode. Uh, if you did not know, we have a Patreon you can check out. Uh, we have exclusive episodes on horror movies. We've discussed in October so far Candyman, The Ring. By the time this episode airs, we talked about Freddy versus Jason. Hell a lot yeah. of a lot of great stuff. So check it out if you can. Um, if you can't support via Patreon, don't worry. We appreciate you listening to this podcast. That is enough support for us. However, patrons, you can join Patreon for free now. Yeah. Now you won't get access to every. Uh, what's the good word for this? Every. Perk. Oh, every... yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Now you won't get access to all the perks. You'll get a very limited access to the Patreon. But uh, we have decided that at least one episode a month will that is meant for patrons only will be released to the free subscribers. Um, and you can still follow us up for like weekly updates and stuff like that. So even if you can't support, uh, be a paid member, you could be a free member of the Patreon now. So check that out if you can. If yeah. not, you don't want to do either of those things, don't worry about it. Just listening to this podcast is enough support for us. Rate us on Spotify, rate us on Apple, and we love you dearly. We do. Next week on the podcast, what is coming out? Sydney? Do we know? Is it FNAF? Next FNAF? week from the following week, it might be FNAF because FNAF. Is it FNAF no. week? No, it's not. Here, let me let me look it up right now. Um, oh, yes, it is FNAF week because it's the week after Killers. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Let's see here. What day FNAF is? Killers is the 20th, 27th, right? Yes, sorry, I got my weeks mixed You're up. Good. Next week, we have FNAF. Doesn't that movie come out on the same day as FNAF? Which movie? I don't know. Isn't there a second big movie coming out on that same day? Oh, the Holdovers. The Holdovers. I'm excited for that. It looks so not of this era. It it right? um, it does scream like right. The, it looks like straight 90s. out of like the 90s or something. Yeah. Yeah. And Paul Giamatti. He deserves uh, an Oscar. You don't want to talk about Netflix's Pain Hustlers that day. No. Yeah, I Uma Thurman, though. 
Is she in that? I'll be watching it for her. Oh, wait, no. That's not Pain Hustlers. That's, um... What is the movie that she's in that's coming out? It honestly maybe looked a little bit good. Oh, I don't know what she's in. Um, Pain Hustlers isn't that, um... That's the uh, fucking Chris Evans, Emily Bunt movie. That's right. The Kill Room is the Uma Thurman, room, yeah. Maya Hawke, and Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, that looks uh, mid, but at any rate. Yeah, but Uma Thurman. Next week, we'll likely be focused on FNAF. Uh, neither of us have any experience with Five Nights at Freddy's, so that should be an interesting <laughs> uh, discussion, especially considering the embargo on that movie. When does it release? When does it lift, Sydney? Uh, I... It's 3 a.m. the day it comes out, which since it's dropping on streaming, arguably after the film releases. (laughs) Like if the film drops at like midnight or maybe the film drops at 3 a.m. Eastern time. Eastern time, yeah. Um, Yeah, that's not uh, that's not good. (laughs) Dude, I think it's going to suck. I'm sorry to FNAF fans out there. I know that's a very dedicated community. But I have a bad Well, they said they made it. Jason Blum in an interview was like, we made it for the fans. Other people can watch it if they want, but this one's for the fans. So I hope that FNAF fans are satisfied. I'm sure they worked in a lot of the lore, a lot of Easter eggs. I don't know if I'm really caring if it's like scary or not. I don't really know what to expect in that regard, but maybe it'll be a little campy. I don't know. I've got a bad feeling, Scoob. I'm excited for for whatever it ends up being. I got a bad view, yeah. <laughs> raggy, oh, raggy. Uh, all right. Well, okay. We've reached the end for reals this time. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode on Kill Is a Flower Moon. Go enjoy the movie. See you next week for FNAF and Sydney. I will talk to you later. Goodbye, listeners.